So the topic I thought we'd explore a bit today is what I want to call the two streams. And this comes about from noticing that in the teachings, well, first of all, there are a lot of references to water and streams and flowing and that sort of thing. So it's a nice image and one that we can certainly connect with here with the beautiful nature setting that we live in. But on the one hand, there are teachings that say things like um, the uninstructed mind is just flowing along with the way worldly events are going. This is paraphrased. And so there's kind of a sense of um, needing to go against the stream. That's even the name of a Buddhist group, right? Against the stream. So there's a sense of we're doing something different that's not the main stream, if you will not the usual way of perceiving or acting or approaching things. And yet, the first stage of awakening is called stream entry. And there's a sense that a person at some point (coughs) gets into a flow, um, and that carries them all the way. So are we getting into the stream? Are we getting out of the stream? Are we going with the stream? Are we going against the stream? So these are different streams, just so you know. But I want to explore what is said about um, about these these ideas, and it helps us, I think, understand kind of what we're doing with with the mind. Maybe can illuminate that a little bit. So starting with the stream that we get conditioned with, you know, very much we are the products of the conditions that we grew up in. So, um, for sure, we're we're not like independent entities that, first of all, we weren't born as blank slates. And then we're not independent entities by the time we get to adulthood. We've been shaped by various forces from our family, from our childhood, from our own propensities. These have all sort of interacted. And so um, we... We're in. We're already in the stream when we uh, when we come to practice. It's not a neutral thing. And this stream is. We can see it outside. It's the one that tells us that uh, the aim of life is to uh, secure yourself through a job, a mate, a house, um, some achievements, a family. You know, some achievements that will bring some kind of stability, security, identity that you know who you are, Um, maybe your political views, maybe the amount of money you have. There's a lot of different things that were offered. And of course, part of this aim is to get enough of those things that are pleasant and confirming and make sure that we avoid and push away the ones that aren't so pleasant, aren't so confirming. Uh, And that's And then if we can just maintain that for as long as possible, um, that's, I don't know, success or that's happiness or something. Uh, These messages are very prevalent and some of them are really blatant and easier to see through. You know, ads that show a car with the woman draped across it and, you know, this is what you're going to buy when you get this car. And we can see that that's not... 
not exactly a true image that's being sold to us. But some of the other ones are much more subtle and have kind of a mix of skillful and unskillful things about them. And so those ones are maybe a little less easy to see, but we very much start out uh, part of this stream, really. And But we know, those of us who have begun on a spiritual path, I think of any kind, but particularly here where we talk about these streams and so forth, we get at some point that this isn't really the full picture. This isn't really doing it for us in some way, or this isn't... We just maybe it's even just an intuitive sense. Isn't there something else? Isn't isn't there something else in this life besides these things that we're offered, kind of through our family or our job or our society? And we see that there are challenges actually with the way that we're trained to interact with this going for the pleasant, getting away from the unpleasant. I'm gonna. Um, quote a little bit from a discourse um, it's from the Samyutta Nikaya and the, the teaching is about um, actually the larger picture is about how clinging leads to fear, agitation and anxiety and the Buddha is going to teach about so he's telling the monks I'm going to teach you about clinging through agitation through clinging and non-agitation through non-clinging um, but the way he goes about it is that he talks about different kinds of people. And one of the people that he talks about is called, the translation is usually the unlearned worldling. Um, uh, the Pali word, I have to tell you this because I'm learning Pali right now. So the Pali word is asutava putujano. <laughs> and... Sutta, asutava, um, sutta comes from to hear. And so it eventually came to mean learned, someone who has heard things, who has heard teachings. Uh, at a time when there wasn't so much written discourse, books everywhere, the internet, you had to hear. You had to hear somebody speak in order to get these teachings. And lo and behold, here we are repeating this 2,600 years ago, later, and we're all just as fortunate as those folks to be hearing the Dharma. But essentially this is, um, and Putujano means something like, actually seems something like um, manifold, manifold. So it means something like most people, <laughs> a lot of people are like this. And so it's translated as unlearned worldly. Not meant insulting like this is all they can ever be, but they're just, they haven't heard the teachings and they're still in this regular stream. And so... Um, it goes on to say about this person what sort of the result of being in that state, of being of just flowing along with the way the usual things are. And it describes, it says here, um, this person has the quality of regarding their body as their self, or uh, regarding the self as possessing form. It actually says form instead of body or form as in self, or self as in form. And these are philosophical views, we're not going to go into them, but the, the, the basic point is identification. So the person is identified with the world, with the body, with the physical reality. It goes on to describe other ways that we can identify, but that's the main one in this first passage. And that is what we're offered in the world. We're offered, you know, get some stuff, so make your body a certain way, 
set up your relationships a certain way. This maybe goes into some of the other kinds of identification, but it basically tells you to create a little world and be in that. Um, And it says the result of this, we're now again just going to use the particular case of form, so body or physical world. That form changes and alters. Have we noticed this? (laughs) So this this is just stated as a I think the understanding is you're not going to argue with that. That form changes and alters. Then it says, with this change and alteration of form, the unlearned worldlings, consciousness runs along or follows along with the change of form. What does this mean? We don't need to go into the details. I think it's a little poetic, but we can also see it in our own mind, is that there's a way that we can look in the mirror and by the way, this change is not just a neutral change. The word that's used means kind of degeneration. <laughs> or, you know, we set it up and then it doesn't last. <laughs> it's not really set it and forget it, right? <coughs> so um, that form degenerates in some way. And then if, when it, consciousness follows along with that, means to look at that, look in the mirror one day, there's a new wrinkle, some more gray hair or less hair or whatever it is, <coughs> And to kind of grab onto that and say, oh no, now this is happening, oh my gosh, everything is falling apart, or something else changes, you know, the the foundation of our house starts to sink, <coughs> because this can happen after 85 years or whatever it's been. And we say, oh no, this is a terrible tragedy, everything's going to fall apart. Um, I'm deliberately choosing things not too close, but then there's, you know, someone dies, or my relationship of 50 years is falling apart, or now I have a terminal illness, whatever it is that's really degenerating. If we're attached to that as my identity, my means of support, everything about me that's great, um, then the mind is going to grab onto that and be forced to follow it along. And that does not feel good. And even if we don't want to, I mean, we can see ourselves kind of doing this, but still the mind is going that way, and still we get upset. And then it says the result of this is agitation and a collection of mental states that are born from following change along remain obsessing his mind or her mind. So the language is a little stilted, but when I read this, I immediately got the sense of, oh, right, you know, when I when something changes or falls apart or whatever, something has to be different, and I'm stuck on that, and I'm just following it along, this is this running with the stream, um, they're suffering, and I get anxious about that, and I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen? I don't know how to do this. Um, I didn't want this. Why is this happening? The world sucks. Uh, or else I failed, I should have been able to keep it together. Whatever, whatever it is, um, it's all because this is part of my world, and if it's my world, I'm supposed to be in control of it and in charge of it, and it's not working, and somebody's to blame, me or the world, whatever. But this is suffering. This is a long way of saying this is suffering. And so he says, as a result, he becomes frightened, distressed, and anxious, and through clinging, he becomes agitated. Yeah, (laughs) this is actually a pretty sophisticated psychological analysis um, in deceptively simple words. (laughs) Um, So 
so this is, you know, this is this stream. And there's also, so I'm reminded then of a, a poem from the Dhammapada that says, for a person who, I, don't, I won't get it exactly right, it's, but I can tell you which one, is the third verse in the chapter called Flowers. Um, and it says basically, for a person who spends their time gathering flowers, um, and he means in an unmindful way, not appreciating the nice flowers, but, you know, just kind of going after this and that, which is pleasant. He says, for this person, um, uh, Mara sweeps over his mind and like a flood, sweeps away a village. Now you have to remember, in ancient India, this is a very real thing. A flood sweeping away a village happens every season when there's these big rains that come. For us, maybe a little less um, directly meaningful, but we get the image, right? And this is the same thing. This is the mind that's sort of built on not very good foundations, and then the flood of the world sweeps it away. And we're off running with thoughts that lead to agitation and fear and anxiety and confusion and hence depression and suffering. So this is the stream that we want to go against. And that's why there's some effort in practice to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I feel my mind flowing that way and I'm not going to do it. And so we learn tools, we learn mindfulness. We can hold this in awareness, maybe if our awareness is strong enough. Or we can do metta, or we can meet it with compassion, or we can, um, you know, open the awareness to uh, be as large as possible to hold it. So there's all kinds of um, practices that we learn, and whatever it is that you know, whatever muscles in our mind are a little weaker than others, those are the ones we strengthen through doing certain practices, and we learn over time to not get swept away quite as often. It's still going to happen, but not quite as often. And then there's also, though, um, stream entry, or the notion that when we really open to the Dharma and start to base our lives on that, instead of what the mainstream tells us, We've entered a different stream, a stream that supports us, that carries us, actually, maybe all the way to the ocean. And this is a very different stream. Actually, there's a sutta where the Eightfold Path is likened to a stream. And when a person gains the path, they have gained an entry into a powerful river that will carry them. And this is expressed in very different ways. Um, Maybe through the direct reference of the path, or through stream entry, or through various other images. Um, The poem here called, At first it seemed like a problem. It was so lovely, the home I built in the Arroyo, Such smooth golden plaster, I worked with my hands, such luster in the wood. I had been told, of course, about the chance of flood. Perhaps some part of me felt relief when the current finally came. First a hum, then a roar, then the splintering din, and then only a vehement rush. What does the soul want, really, but to join with the wild flood? Regret can only tread for so long. 
This is now what life wants. A fallen tree, a hand-carved beam, both serve as well for a float. Now wherever the water says, that is where I go. So maybe this flood that comes sweeps the mind away. Or maybe it sweeps away something that wasn't a solid home for us anyway. The home that we built based on identity, based on thinking that form, self, based on what the ads told us would make us happy. That might not have been the, the most stable ground to build on. It was so lovely, the home I built in New Royal. And so it gets swept away. And there's a certain skill then in being <coughs> in the water. Maybe they aren't two different streams. Maybe it's how we navigate them. One is a disaster that destroyed our home, and the other is a new home. Wherever the water says, that's where I go. So there's a sense of finding a foundation on something that's no longer solid, and yet it's a better foundation. Sometimes it's not such an easy transition. We fight against that. Is it a flood? Is it a savior? (laughs) Which stream are we in? Maybe more a perception than really two different streams. And sometimes we fight against uh, the flow of the Dharma in our lives because it's changing things about us. I found another poem. You'll have to indulge me a little bit on the imagery because this uses the wind instead of water, but maybe it's similar. Air flows also. This is called Without a Doubt. Could be you feel like a tiny bird flapping hard, hard as you can, into the wind. Though there is no sign that says dead end, you are not going anywhere and can't imagine you ever will. Could be all that fluttering exhausts you until you stop all that trying and turn away from whatever it is you think you are flying toward. And then perhaps you understand, not with your head, with your whole being, that wherever the wind is going to go, it will go. Could be you find yourself saying yes to the wind, the same wind, you know this, that fills your lungs. Could be that it is so beautiful, this new kind of flying, that you forget to be frightened, that you do not know what will happen next. Could be you've never been quite so aware how infinite the sky. So which stream are we in might depend on the conditions we've set up in our mind. For sure, the main stream is going 
somewhere that we don't really want to go, but maybe there's this other stream. Doesn't feel quite as secure, but is actually more supportive in some way. And this is the stream that we enter and learn to trust. We forget to be frightened that we don't know what will happen next. Notice this is similar to the Asutava Putujano who becomes frightened, distressed, and anxious because the form that he had identified with is changing. So, some of the training that we do is to train the mind to see which stream we're in and to see the stream that we're in as the one that will support us. So those are my thoughts on streams. If anybody has any questions or comments, please.